I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, as did my fathers, when I remember you constantly in my prayers. As I remember your tears, I long night and day to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you. Hence, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of, a spirit of power and love and of self-control. This is the word of the Lord. It was a couple of years ago that I told you a little bit about Anna Jarvis and John Wanamaker. They were the two people who really were responsible for getting to Woodrow Wilson and asking him to sign into law the idea of the second Sunday of every Mother's Day should be set aside, of May should be set aside for Mother's Day. And so Woodrow Wilson signed that into law in 1914. But what was interesting is I start going back and looking at who inspired Anna and John to carry that message to Woodrow Wilson. And it was Anna's mother, Ann Jarvis. What a fascinating lady. It was Ann Jarvis who was born in 1832. She was born there in Virginia. It turned out that her father was a Methodist minister. So they would move around different places in the state of Virginia. But she grew up in a family of great compassion, a great love, a great passion for helping all people. When she grew up, she got married, a man named Granville. They got married, and he was the son of a Baptist preacher. Now, so often when people from different backgrounds get married, what happens is they become whatever the wife is. That's the way it worked in my family. My father was a Baptist. He married my mother, who was the daughter of a Methodist minister. And I'm a Methodist. Well, that's what happened with the Jarvis family as well. They went to the Methodist church. That was their passion. They would have 13 children in 17 years. But only four would make it to adulthood. Typhoid fever, the measles, diphtheria. They were all common diseases there in these Appalachian communities in the middle 1800s there in Virginia. And it was Anne who really believed that they needed to be doing something to help mothers and all these young families know what they could do to improve health and their life. And so in 1858, Ann Jarvis created the Mother's Day Work Club. She started it in five different communities. And she was trying to get all these women together, these mothers, and they would then go throughout the communities in order to teach young moms things that mattered. Like, if your child has a fever, keep them hydrated. They didn't know that in the 1850s. They started teaching about sanitation. They raised money for medicines 
They raised money to hire people to help mothers who had TB. Remember, this was coal mining country. And so it is, they were doing everything they could to push down this mortality rate, to be there to help children and mothers. And then along came the Civil War. Now, you may remember that Virginia was one state, but the eastern part of Virginia was Confederate. The western part of the state leaned towards the Union. And so it was, in 1861, the state split, and in 1863... Lincoln recognized West Virginia as a part of the Union and Eastern Virginia was still a part of the Confederacy. It was Ann Jarvis who said to all of her mother's club, we're going to stay neutral. We will serve all people. We're not just going to side with the Confederates or with the Union. We will serve all. We will remain neutral. And so they did. They served wherever they saw a need and whoever was asking. And when the Civil War was over, it was Anne who saw the power of mother's love. She'd invited all the mothers on the Confederate side that she knew and all the Union to come to the Taylor Courthouse, the Taylor County Courthouse, and to have a service and to bring their sons. She knew that reconciliation was important, and that could be fostered by mothers. These people had been neighbors. They were family. They were friends who had been torn apart by this war. Now, there were lots of threats of violence if this were to happen, but Anne was undeterred, and they had this big service there at the Taylor County Courthouse, and she was the speaker talking about the importance of reconciliation and love and what needs to happen. And when she was through in the service, they played Dixie. And then they played the Star-Spangled Banner. And then everybody joined in singing Auld Ang Syne. Now, if you were here back during Christmas, we learned about that song. We learned about this song that we sing every year at New Year's and realized this is not um, a statement, it's a question. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never renewed again? The answer to that is no. For all Lang Syne, that is, for all of the memories, for all of the times that have been shared, old acquaintance should not be forgotten. They sang this together there in that courtyard. And people wept. And it was one of those times that brought the people back together in an incredible way. Well, she and her husband moved and settled in, in Galford, um, West Virginia. Grafton, West Virginia. Grafton, West Virginia was a place that hit her husband Granville was opening a, another store, a business. They became a part of the Andrew Methodist Episcopal Church. Anna, Anne would be the Sunday school superintendent for the next 25 years. She would teach a third grade Sunday school class. Finally, Granville died. It was 1902. Her health was failing. She moved to Philadelphia to go be near her three children. And it was on May the 8th, 1905, that Anne Jarvis died. 
it was her daughter Anna and then John Wanamaker who decided this love that we saw in Anne, this love that we see in mothers is such a powerful love as a force for peace and reconciliation. We need to celebrate it. And so it was just a couple years later trying to be on her, the anniversary of her death, May the 10th, 1908, at Andrew Methodist Episcopal Church, they had the first official worship service to honor mothers. 110 years ago, there at that Methodist church that is now claimed as the international monument for Mother's Day. And why did they do it? Because a mother's love truly does have the power to promote peace and reconciliation and change the world. As I thought about Ann Jarvis, I couldn't help but think about our scripture lesson because it too is about the power of a mother's love. We know that this is 2 Timothy. It's the second letter that Paul has written to Timothy. And you remember that Paul never married but he always called Timothy his son in the faith. It turns out that Timothy was born in in Lystra, Asia Minor. His mother, Eunice, well, she was a Jew, and she married a Greek. But then she became a Christian. And her mother, Lois, was a Christian. And so when Timothy is born and he is being brought up there in Lystra, He is brought up in the Christian faith with the strong spirit of his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. It's on the second missionary journey of Paul when he and Silas come to Lystra that they meet Timothy. And as they talk, Paul is so impressed with the family and their faith and this young man and Timothy wants to go with Paul. And his mother and grandmother agree. And so Timothy goes off with Paul for a life of adventure, sometimes great joy and sometimes great pain, success and failure. Timothy will be used for important missions, carrying letters, leading churches. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul will write, no one is so important to me as Timothy. He was invaluable. And yet, you know, even someone of great faith who is having great success can get depressed and feel at times like a failure. Sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down. Sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. And scholars think this may have been one of those times when Timothy was struggling, feeling depressed, not feeling so good about things. And so Paul writes to him, and Paul says, Timothy, refresh the spirit that is within you. I remember, I remember your faith, the faith that I saw in your mother, Eunice, and your grandmother, Lois, is the faith that I saw in you. Remember them. Today is Mother's Day. And it is a day that has been set aside for the last 110 years for us to go back and to remember our mothers. It's a time for remembering how they have loved us and sacrificed and cared for us. And maybe you're blessed and your mother or your grandmother is sitting next to you this morning. 
Maybe your grandmother or your mother is in the kingdom of heaven. We know that death may end a life, but not a relationship. And so whether your mother's sitting beside you or the kingdom of heaven, you can stop this morning and remember. You remember and you give thanks for the love that was there to guide and sacrifice and care for you. And this morning, what I want us to do is, moms, I want us to remember the way that you love us that literally helps to change our lives and the world. And there's just two things that I want to say. First of all, moms, it is when that you are present and you comfort us and you love us and you tell us it's okay that we believe you because you're our mother. When we were little and learning to walk, as Jesse's going to learn how to walk and fall and hit his head, you're going to pick him up and hold him and kiss that bobo and tell him it's going to be okay. And it will be. And then you get out and you learn to play and you ride your bike and you fall and you skin your knees and skin your hands and mom picks you up and hugs you and says, it's going to be okay. And it is. And then you're growing on up and you're growing in your faith. And there are those times when now you start having a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they break your heart. Or you get married and it falls apart. Or your dream is dashed. Or you struggle with health. Life doesn't go the way you plan. And it's a mother who can hug you and say, it's going to be okay. Because of your faith, it's going to be okay. And it is. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. Timothy, refresh your spirit. I know the spirit that is in you because I saw it in your mother and your grandmother. Remember, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love, and self-control. God gave you a different spirit, Timothy. Do you remember? It's going to be okay. Last week, I, I was telling you about Allison Massari. If you were here, you remember that I told you about this amazing young lady. Uh, 20 years ago, May of 1998, Allison was 32 years old. She was in Florida. She was driving home from a movie when a driver coming the other way at 60 miles an hour crossed the center line and they had a head-on crash. It was a horrific wreck. The cars both exploded into flames. There was people standing by and, and they saw it going on. They knew that nobody could have lived. But the truth is, Allison was inside her car and was conscious the whole time. And now she was trapped the door wouldn't open, the window wouldn't come down, and she was catching on fire. She knew she was going to die and be burned alive. And feeling this and knowing this, suddenly she turned to the window and there was this face, eyes looking right into her eyes, 
It was a man named Roger Pepper. He had been coming the other way. He saw the accident. He had run through the flames, come up to the car, looked into the window to see, is it possible? And it was. And so he kicked out the window. He grabbed her and drug her out. He said it was like God was pushing her out of the car. He drug her across the street on fire. And there with his bare hands, he put out the flames. She had second-degree burns over 50% of her body. She lived. And she lived and began this process, this next 20-year process of trying to work towards a physical recovery, and she is now fully recovered, but also working to heal mentally, emotionally, spiritually. She now has gained a lot of insight into her own life and what she believes about life. And so she now talks about it and has a speech in which she talks about how she grew up in a strong Catholic family, a family that really believed so much in the gift of God's grace. It was her mother who always told her, no matter how dire the situation, you can always find something good. That in your darkest night, you can find something good. It's like she was sharing Paul in the 8th chapter of Romans, when Paul says, all things work together for good of those who love the Lord. Paul did not say that all things that happen are good. Some are painful. Some are unfair. All things can work together for good of those who love the Lord. Nothing can separate us in life or death from the love of God as revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what she had been taught. And Allison said she bought that hook, line, and sinker. She believed it with her whole heart until she was 17 years old. And when she was 17, she saw a newspaper, and the headline said, Two-year-old boy playing with a Bic lighter went into a closet, and it caught on fire. And everything went up in flames. He burned. And the doctor said the burns were so severe they did not see how he could survive. And that's so imprinted in her mind. It's all she could imagine. And all she could say was, how, how could anything good come out of that? It rocked her belief. Little did she know, 15 years later, she would be the victim who would be burned so badly. Well, she did burn. She struggled. She began that process of healing. And she had so much support from her mom and her dad, from so many friends. And as she got better, she felt incredibly grateful for all who had been so supportive. So Allison Massari started the Roger Pepper Adventure Camp, named after the man who had saved her from the car wreck. It is held each year in Cresta Butte, Colorado, where all these young people who have been burned can come together. They understand each other. The social stigma, how people are treated, as well as the pain. They come together so they can ski and they can go on sleigh rides and snowboarding. It's a week to come together and know some joy. Allison said there's one young man who comes every year. His name's C.J., and C.J. was burned from his head to his toe. 
He has no fingers. But he's the life of the party. He's the one who always brings the music. He brings food. But more importantly, he brings this infectious smile. She said he is always laughing, the one to make you feel good. You can feel his love. She said, I knew him for years. And one day she was talking on the phone. And talking on the phone to him, she said, CJ, I've known you for years now. And I have no idea, how did you get burned? And CJ was quiet for a moment. And then he said, Allison, did you ever hear the story about a two-year-old boy and a Bic lighter? I want to read you what Allison said. Even when we have doubts and encounter the impossible, it is worth believing in the possibility of wholeness and happiness. Even in the most tragic of circumstances, goodness can be found. Pain and joy exist side by side. The line dividing a life of bitterness and a life of sweetness is almost imperceptible. Sometimes we forget there is a choice. Choice to focus on joy or the choice to focus on all that is painful and unfair. It is the ability to see all that is good and to choose love and compassion that enables us to seek and find the good. You get to choose. And through the gift of God's grace, you are able to look and to see. It's going to be okay. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. Maybe you're struggling right now, Timothy. Renew the spirit that is within you. That spirit of faith that I saw in your mother and your grandmother. Think about them. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Timothy, it's going to be okay. And so secondly, moms, it's because you gave us birth that you know we are unique. That we are special to God and special to you. And that we have a special calling in life, each of us. We're not the same. No two children are the same. It's not one is better than the other. Not one is right or wrong or good or bad. No two are the same. Each child is unique and loved by you, loved by God. And when you love us in that way that we know that we are unique and special to you and to God, you help us to see a vision and a dream for our lives, how God has called us. You know, Timothy was so blessed to have a mother and a grandmother like Eunice and Lois. In those days, what did they want? They wanted Timothy to stay home with them. But they loved him enough. They saw he was unique and of himself. 
and that God had a call on his life and he was passionate to go with all the joy and the danger and the success and the failure that a life with Paul on that road would bring and they let him go. Mothers, when you love us so much that you help us to know we are special and unique, that we can hear God's call on our lives to be that person we've been called to be, to find our place in the world. It's a mother's love that gives us the courage to go out and try. For all of you mothers who have loved in such a special way like Eunice and Lois, your children give you thanks. But I also know that not everybody has a mother like a Lois or a Eunice. And maybe your mother did the best she could and she couldn't do that. I pray that some other woman with maternal love stepped forward to care about you in some special way to again help you know that you are loved, that you are special and unique and loved by God to help you find your place. To all women who have loved in that special way, children, we give you thanks. I've been reading about Bob Leslie. He's an emergency room doctor. He works in North Hill, South Carolina. And he tells about his book called Miracles in the ER. He's a man of faith. He was talking one day about how he had going in to see a patient. He got the chart and had talked about a little girl, five years old. Her name was Autumn. And she had a cough that brought her in because she was having trouble breathing and they wanted to make sure it didn't go into pneumonia. Nothing jumped out at him at that moment. Everything was pretty normal. They could deal with this till he got to the bottom and read on the bottom of the chart about the meds. She was on meds for HIV. Now, Whenever a five-year-old is on meds for HIV, you can almost always assume that the mother was addicted to drugs, some sort of a drug abuser. And when you're in the business of healing and, and loving and encouraging, and you see an innocent child who is suffering because of some adult's actions, it just invokes this indignation, this anger. And that's what he felt when he went into that room. Sitting on the examining table was this little five-year-old girl, Autumn. She had big brown eyes, beautiful hair. He said, she would melt your heart. Then he looked at her and spoke to her, and he looked over in the corner, and there was mother sitting, and she was holding another little girl, obviously younger than Autumn. And he spoke to Autumn, and he spoke over to the mother and said, how are you today? I am fine. And so what's the problem? Well, she, she is coughing, and she's having a hard time breathing, because she has HIV, we felt we needed to bring her in before it got out of control. I'm sure she'll be fine. We'll be able to do x-rays. I'm sure we'll be okay. Don't tell me, what is your other daughter's name? Well, her name is Summer. And Bob thought, oh, good Lord. I got Autumn and I got Summer. This is going to be different. I said, well, those are unusual names. So tell me, what is your name? My name's Dakota, Dakota Wells. My father was a ranch hand in South Dakota, and so I was named Dakota. I'm just grateful he wasn't working in Idaho. <laughs> Bob laughed, and she laughed, and he thought to himself again, this is going to be different. 
as they were talking, he looked down and he saw tracks on Dakota's arm. And she saw him looking. And she spoke up and said, it's true. I, I've had my problems, but that was years ago. I've been fine. I've been clean for quite some time now. I was one of the fortunate ones. I never did get HIV or hepatitis, unlike Autumn and Summer's mother. Bob suddenly sat down. She went on. When my husband Dylan and I got married, we wanted to have children. I was pregnant. We decorated the nursery. I was so excited. I knew that I was going to have a little girl, and I wanted to name her Spring. But I had a miscarriage. We were so close. And so we tried and tried for a number of years, and we just never got pregnant again. And then we found this home up in Baltimore, and it was a wonderful home that took in children who had who had a problem. And so the good Lord has blessed us with two wonderful daughters and we've committed our lives to loving them and helping them have a a wonderful and full life as we can. Bob said his, his eyes of indignation had turned to eyes of amazing compassion and admiration. Well, I'm sure she's going to be fine. We'll be working. I hope to get to meet your husband, he said. He got up to go, and she said, Well, Dylan will be by when he gets off work this evening. Bob just about was at the door when Dakota said, By the way, tell Miss B hello. Miss B? I mean, his wife's name was Barbara. Nobody called her Miss B, except her third grade Sunday school class. Or kids who had been in her program for teenagers. And Dakota suddenly went on and said, I I was in Miss B's program, Teens Under Fire, 18 years ago. I always sat on the back row. She might remember my name. Bob thought about her program, Teens Under Fire. His wife had such a compassion for kids who were struggling and who were lost, and she brought these teenagers together to try to show them the results of the decisions they were making would lead to, to drug abuse and abusive situations and prison or death. She tried to love on these kids and show them where their lives were going and trying to help them. But Dakota went on and said, I kept doing all the things that she talked about. I made a mess out of my life. I hit rock bottom in Knoxville, Tennessee. I found myself in jail. And sitting there in jail one night, I got to thinking about Miss B. I started thinking about all the things she had tried to teach us. But most of all, what I thought about was how much she loved us. She had to have loved us to do all the things she did and to put up with us. No, she loved me like a mother, the mother that I never had. When I woke up the next morning, I was still thinking about Miss B and all that she taught us and how much she loved us. 
things started to change. I got probation and got out. I met Dylan and we got married. My life was different. It's been different forever and I've never looked back. But you know, I always thought about Miss B. She walked over and picked up Summer and took her over and, or took, and walked over and sat down beside Autumn. And she said, you know, Miss B told us that we were all unique. There was no one like me. And that God wanted to use me in a special way in this world. That there was a place for me that no one else could fill. Those were just words back then. She hugged her two daughters and looked at Bob and said, Please tell Miss B, I found my place. Mothers, your love helps us find our place. To be used by God in a way that no one else can be. It is your love that gives us hope. Mothers and all women who love, we give you thanks. It's in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.